Welcome to Millennium Live, a digital diary podcast. We sit down with the top C-suite executives and talk all things digital transformation. The Millennium Alliance announced its first Data Innovator of the Year Award at our Digital Enterprise CIO Transformation Assembly, and it belonged to Craig Brabeck. Vice President and Chief Data and Analytics Officer at McDonald's. We had the pleasure to have Craig sit down with Millennium Alliance Thought Leader and Advisory Board Member, Sean Emirati, to talk through Craig's career in technology, prioritizing data and data-driven decisions, and in areas of AI and data science that we should be looking forward to. It's all here on Millennium Lot. I'm excited. I'm humbled at the same time to receive this award. I really appreciate the opportunity to to have the team recognized for the accomplishments we've done in, in innovating with data, both at Ford at McDonald's and other companies too, where we've, we've done this. So really exciting moment for the team and, and really appreciate the recognition. Awesome. Craig, I, I thought maybe an interesting place to get started is, you know, as Kara was mentioning, it's been an interesting year. It's probably been a year where innovation has never been more important, but also may mean things slightly different than it's meant in the past as well in terms of, of, of how to be innovative and how to use data to be innovative. And so I thought maybe a place to get started is just reflect on the last year and, and what you think innovation has meant through this last 12 months. You know, it's, yeah, interesting is a, a nice word for the last 12 months, isn't it? It's been, in some words, sometimes crazy, in other words, insane, high pressured. Um, but really, when we look back at it, I think in many regards, we're going to talk about it from a business and a data perspective of never let a good crisis go to waste. I can remember sitting at Ford in March when this all started to take place and the, the leadership team quickly said, tell me where it's going, tell me what's happening, where's this going just from a spread perspective and having to take models from the University of Washington. And remember, we didn't even have test results, we just had deaths. So it was the only data point we had. And we were literally reverse engineering data models and, and algorithms that were posted at University of Washington and then applying them across the globe, grabbing different data sets just to see where this was spreading and what was taking place and literally seeing what was happening in Mexico and Brazil before you were reading about it. So it was a it was an opportunity for us to take what we could do and show insight to the business immediately in ways that maybe we struggled with before in terms of showing how these business insights could be so actionable so quickly. So there was this immediate, I'd say, urgent response to it and what we could do based on what we had set up. But then you know, quickly what we saw through the year and what we're experiencing now is this acceleration of things that were on the cusp of a slower adoption of digital that just were thrown completely into the forefront, like Zoom meetings, and we've seen what's going on with all that. But, but also in, in the ecosystems like automobile and how you can buy a car completely without interacting with a, with a human right now. And just about every automotive company quickly pivoted to that model. They had it in the wings. It was sitting back. There was slower adoption, lots of reasons not to do it, including some of them state laws and regulations. And those were quickly adjusted to allow it to, to take place. At the same time, the movement into telemedicine and the ability to, to see your doctor over a line, that was a, a friction that was quickly eliminated. So I think you saw a lot of things, I'd say, accelerated. Um, into the digital space, which drew a lot of data and analytics need and talent right on. How many of us now order our groceries online and then just back into a spot and wait for that to come? 
So it's created a lot of, I'd say, augmentation and change to the existing models. But what I think you're going to see next is that start to move into, so what do you do about it with innovation going forward with new data sets and with new insights? And I'll just, I'll give one example and we can, we can uh, tease that one out a little bit is in that example of the vehicle, how many of you will ever buy a car that doesn't have a remote tailgate lift button in the front of it now? Whereas a year ago, that might've been an, an option at one of the higher trim models. Now you're looking for that. So you don't have to get out of the car. You can just hit the button that goes in, but will that will drive some innovation as well as do I want a camera back there to see that the things I got, it looked like the right quantity. Do I want to do something else with temperature controls, um, hot or cold in the back of the car? It's going to drive new innovation models as soon as we see and car makers see the demand for that be confirmed through either customer insight surveys or you know, good old fashioned focus groups, but also the data that we see with the vehicles now as the information comes off, we see those trips go to the store, but the vehicle doesn't get turned off. Whereas before it was a start stop and we had a whole bunch of work associated with those trips and how we would draw insights to it. But how people are using vehicles is fundamentally different than, than how they were using it before. So these opportunities are actually going to create new innovations if we can capture the data and, and, and see what it's telling us. Yeah, I think, I think this is a fascinating thing that's always been true, but COVID has created a, a wonderful object lesson around how it works. I mean, certainly would trade not having the COVID crisis for this, but in the world that we're living in where we're dealing with this, I think it's created this really interesting object lesson that data is not only something that can be you know, used as, a, as an innovation source, but it can also tell us about these new opportunities for innovation, right? So you talked about vehicle trip data. I imagine that vehicle trip data was not something that they just started gathering. I imagine they'd had it for a long time, yeah. but, but now all of a sudden there's a way to use that data, drive insights from it and have that inform the product development lifecycle. It feels like that's something that a lot of our audience may be trying to think about in their own respective organizations. So any examples from your time at McDonald's where you've done kind of similar things of using these data to kind of inform new decisions around these opportunities? Absolutely. And one of the things that changed through the past year was uh, we can talk different parts of the globe. This was impacted differently. At McDonald's, we have about 37,000 restaurants worldwide and only about 14,000 of them are in the United States. So most of us on the phone are used to this model of the drive-through is, is one of your primary ways to, to go through customer servicing and get your meal. Globally, that's a lot different. In parts of Europe, that drive-through is much lower percentage. Hmm. But let's just break into the US for a minute. In many regards, the restaurants were closed. And the only way you could go is through a drive-through or through delivery. And what we saw is delivery go up significantly in our guest counts and in our average checks. But also we saw an increase of the usage of the drive-through. So when we dug back, what we started to understand in even greater detail than ever before, what customers are really looking for in their experiences in these channels is actually significantly different. So in the drive-through, it is about speed and convenience. And although we want to emphasize a pleasant customer experience, people are really just want speed and convenience. We give them a broader selection of the menu. There's less, a little bit less propensity for that and more about, hey, I just want my food and I know what I want. 
if they're in an experience that's different, such in digital with an app or with the online ordering that takes place, there's a, a greater willingness to look around to maybe get recommendations and things like that. So we saw some of that through the data capture to really interrogate the data and understand what the differences were. And then the other thing that we saw is um, the, you know, the role of social media actually is having a greater impact on demand channels than before. We had some very successful promotions with Travis Scott and Jay Balvin. And what we're seeing is, is that social media is actually playing a, a bigger role than ever in terms of shaping demand, but also understanding what your demand patterns are going to be. So we have to index higher to those data points. And we're seeing that, you see that all over in many different industries with regards to how customers are wanting to interact with you. That's amazing, right? So two good examples of this. And, and to me, part of this is now you're taking this data science, right? And you're translating it directly into the, the business objectives. You know, we have people listening in today from lots of different verticals. So not just automotive and retail, but, but finance and healthcare and these different spaces. And so I thought it'd be interesting if you could just kind of, you've done this now in a couple of different organizations. What advice might you give to, to peers in other industries about making the case for, for these investments, for building out this competency uh, in, their, these, in their organizations, especially in the, the kind of economic cycle that we're, we're in right now? It's a good question because I've seen a lot of times folks are saying, well, just throw out the data. It does, it's meaningless. Historical isn't important to us anymore because of these changes. And the answer is, yeah, not necessarily. You want to know what is the data telling you now versus what it was telling you before and start to investigate and just ask these open-ended questions. Don't throw out your forecast models. Don't, don't disband them, but understand what other things should I be now looking at that might be driving a difference in, in what I'm seeing. The second is give people time and freedom to explore. And more so than just saying it, but draw it to an expectation. What are you going to interrogate? I want you to go and do some quick POCs or some quick investigations. And I'm going to write it in, physically write it into your goals to go start telling me what's going on. Uh, and we're going to spend 15 minutes on every agenda each week standing just to talk about what's going on with data, what's taking place. And what I think you'll see is, is that a natural progression and people will be willing to start to talk about it and also make it safe what they don't know. Not what you do know, but maybe what you don't know and need to go find out because the venues that are there to actually capture these different data sources in a new way. That might be data sources that are even sitting outside your company or outside your organization, but you can get access to them. And it might be through a partner, it might be through a vendor, it might be through a supplier, that they're dealing with a similar challenge to support or provide to you. And you're able to, uh, to then engage in that conversation. And, and the reason I say is it's not huge investments is you can start small, you can think big, and you can act fast in this space. You don't have to prove it out for the world or even for a specific country, but maybe there's a region, maybe there's a customer base, maybe there's just one plant that you want to go and test something out in this environment, because I'd say that the adoption curve and the willingness to try new things, from my experience within the body of the company, seem much more open and willing right now to, to embrace new approaches and new models. Yeah, which I think gets back to that, you know, a crisis is a terrible thing to, to waste thing. I did want to just emphasize one other thing that you said, though, because I think there's a lot of wisdom in it, you just, and you kind of touched on it briefly as you're going through one of the things I say to professionals all the time is your calendar reflects your priorities, right? 
And so if this is a priority, then show me where it is on your calendar, right? And so if, if learning and experimenting and, and adding data and, and data-informed decisions is a priority in the companies that you're leading, then there should be somewhere on their calendar that, that kind of reflects that. And I think putting it as a, a standing item on a meeting, things like that are just great ways to begin to show people like this really is a priority in McDonald's. This really is a priority inside Ford. What I would approach is, is you're going to go launch three projects that are experimentation. Each one's going to take less than four weeks. Um, and you're going to time box to where you get to output with some, some deliverable or presentation of the output in some formal or informal manner that promotes people to go do this and also make it, you know, to, to the point earlier, make it visible so people can see each other's projects and maybe dive in and go, hey, I want to be part of that too. And that can be some really simple spreadsheets that are posted on what projects folks are working on that people can opt into and creating safe environments where they can play with the data as well that are maybe less bound to the, the requirements of the infrastructure of the operational systems in your company. That's awesome. I'm going to ask if there are any other don'ts like that. I want to make sure we don't glide over that. So I'll give you a minute to think about that. Just for the audience, we also want to talk about what you want to talk about. We've got about 13 more minutes here. I've got way more than 13 minutes of questions for Greg, so I can keep peppering him with the things I'm interested in. But you know, you're really the customer here. So we are using the Zoom chat. Don't hesitate to post questions into that chat that, that you'd like to address. Um, Craig, any other don'ts that you might, you know, cautions you might want to make to people heading down this path that you've been down through a couple orgs now? Yeah, uh, you know, just don't kill the ideas. But that won't work because we tried that before and it didn't work because is, is let them explore, assign them a data scientist and start with sometimes maybe encourage them to scope it back a little bit so it's not so grandiose, but launch them as what I call can you projects. And if they come back with four after four weeks and you go, that's really insightful. If, if you can do that with this data, can you do this? Yeah. And start to just start with, I'd say, you know, stepping stones versus saying, I'm going to go completely revamp a process. No, actually, I just want to know, can I do this? Well, actually, yes, you can. One of the examples was uh, back at, at another company was they wanted to do some anomaly detection at uh, actually time and expense reports, which obviously wasn't, isn't a really good use case right now, so I can talk about it. But the question was, can you detect anomalies and the reporting, and et cetera? Yes. And what I wanted to get the team to get to was, is can you actually eliminate time and expense reporting completely? You do an upfront approval, you know the cost came in within certain ranges. Don't submit approvals for time and expense reports, just pay them. They're within the, the, the right windows. And then look for, you can build AI models and such for anomaly detection. But we started with just, can you do the anomalies and the first steps versus approaching it of, hey, I want to obliterate this entire process because you'll learn a lot on the journey. And sometimes the, the data will tell you things you didn't expect to see. And you, what you want to do is frequent check-ins with the teams that allow them and encourage them to keep going. So I'd start with, like I said, smaller, but, but encourage them to pursue things that maybe you already in your head have a preconceived notion that won't work. Let them try. Awesome. So I have a, a direct message question here, Craig. They want to know, how does data science work fit in with the rest of the innovation initiatives within the companies that you've been at? I assume that means Ford and McDonald's, but 
feel free to reference other stuff you've been involved in. Yeah, actually, actually we did quite a bit of this at Caterpillar as well. Okay, great. And the long answer is, is organizationally, it can different models can work very well in different companies. So I don't think there's any one single model that works best. What I what I've seen is is the data scientists need to be pulled in at scoping and at upfront planning and origination. And the reason for that is quite often what the business, what the data scientists don't have that makes them more valuable is business acumen and understanding the central problem or the central question that you're addressing can help them very much in starting to go back and see what's possible and make you aware of capabilities or data sets that, that you weren't aware of. So their job is a bit of evangelist, but in order to help them do that, bring them in upfront, bring them in at scoping versus, hey, I've decided I want to go do this. Can you go you know, perform X with the data? The reality of is in the world today, there is so much access to information. One of my friends refers to it as the Turkish bazaar of data availability, that you can just go in and get pretty much anything you need uh, and in a safe environment. Set them up early on in the process, and so they're part. So they're part of the team. That's awesome, and actually leads to another question that we fielded, which is, data scientists are competitive to recruit these days. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, how do you think about building your team specifically around this recruiting challenge? Yeah, and they def they definitely are in high demand and. Surprisingly, they're actually in more high demand with COVID. Um, they, they have uh, they have a bit of a hedgehog with regards to these skills and capabilities. Uh, there's a couple of ways to do it. One is a um, good old fashioned partnership. Uh, there are a lot of companies that are out there um, that will help partner with you to bring those skills and capabilities. But within the organization, I'd encourage you to do a couple things. One is make sure that your internal data scientists are being used on these types of projects and not on what I call support and maintenance of old algorithms or prior, move that stuff to a third party, get it into a rules-based environment where they can manage it, keep the internal data scientists focused on the front end with innovation and development. The second is you can upskill some of your current teams too, the folks that aren't data scientists and you hear the term citizen data scientist or you hear data literacy or translators, the key is to start to create environments where they can be exposed to what's possible through either data analytics academies or courseware programs that are out there, as well as creating your own communities internally to share information and share data so you can make it a little less friction, frictionless of what one part of the organization is seeing with another and you can start to raise the capabilities. We're doing this at McDonald's right now. I got something I launched. It's called the Analytics Underground. Um, and it's literally hundreds of professionals that come in. I show them some of the things we're doing, but we also bring some external speakers in and such just to start to widen the pool of knowledge of what can be done with the data and what some people are doing underway while at the same time listening to them as to what some of the needs are and helping them get training, get tools, get access to data to help them along the way. Yeah, I think that sort of, I call it English to English translation, like you're both speaking in English, but it's different getting them to talk the same version of English is so important. We, uh, the lab I run at Carnegie Mellon does a lot of work with United Healthcare Group. And one of the executives shared with me that he just gotten to a point where he was just exhausted with executives walking into his office and saying like, well, can't we just sprinkle a little AI on that problem? I'm sure it will be, uh, I'm sure it will be much better if it just had some AI as part of it. And so we created similarly a program at CMU AI for their executives where we, we walk them through that. And it's, 
you know, a three-day course, but it's just been amazing the the English to English translation that that comes out of that. We have another one from from the audience here, Craig. So this is this is quickly becoming, which is great. The questions they want to talk about. Uh, this is around kind of thinking further out, and the question is specifically, how do you uh, start looking beyond the immediate future? You know, month to month, quarter to quarter, to start looking to some of these these broader things, the the three to five year horizon in your planning. Yeah, you know, you use the word horizon, which is perfect. I, I found a frame that when you go inventory all your analytics projects, you start to bucket them into these horizons. You know, mm -hmm. uh, one company was now near and far. Sure. Another company it was one year. It's going to give me revenue this year. One to you know, less than one year. One to three years is, is I see revenue opportunity in one to three years. And then the other was three years or more, where I was looking more like shaping. And, and even helping with image of what the company wants to be or where we want to move to. And I think if you start to inventory your projects that way, what you typically find is they're all bucketed down to the one year in less than one year, which yep. also isn't always realistic because the change management to get models to stick and to get behaviors to change often pushes you into a, a one to three year horizon with many of your projects. What I found is, is that when I do that, and then I also ask the leadership team, now, let's say I have a, I, nobody has infinite resources, let's say of a score of 100, what percentage should be in the far, what should be in the, in the middle, and what should be in the near? And what I typically find is, is there's some number that is put in the far, and let's just say it's 20%. Yep. More often than not, I do not have 20% of my projects or my resources focused in that way. But just taking a simple frame, now near far or the time horizons, if your company allows that, and inventory your projects, you're going to find just about everything shoved down in that far. And so then you can start working at what are those further out. And there's lots of vehicles to start thinking about the further out, because what you'll start to do is these things become symbiotic. Well, I need to go capture new, new data streams in order to enable that. Okay, what data exists today? And then you start finding proxies for some of that data as well. I can't capture X. Uh, but I can get Y and that's a good proxy for X in the meantime for me to start to develop out what I'm really looking for in those farther horizons. Yeah, that's okay. awesome. Reminds me of the Jeffrey Moore kind of three horizon model and the 70-20-10 the so-called golden ratio as you're yeah. talking about that specifically in innovation. It's interesting to think about that as it relates to to data analytics and, and pipeline projects as well. That's that's really interesting. So I think a, a good question to kind of end on here, given we've just recognized you as an innovator and, and as Kara said, it was an incredibly competitive selection process to, to pick you. It's just, I thought an interesting last question that would be, you know, what are you excited about that's coming next? Like what, what are the things that get you as an innovator, as a data scientist and a data-driven innovator, uh, you know, excited about right now? And obviously, realize you can't say anything confidential about McDonald's, but just generally, what are the areas where you're really excited today, Craig? Yeah, it's, it's sort of two categories. One is the technology. So it continues to go so much faster that some of the things that even the data scientists had to do in a very mechanical fashion are becoming automated. And there's new tools that very quickly are making all that quote data science where someone's coming in and evaluating your models and picking the best one, that's getting automated now. And so I'm really excited that it will re not, the current generation is reducing data science time, but still requiring the data scientist. I see in the future that you'll be able to get a very seasoned person that accepts data and change 
to start to utilize these models themselves. Yep. So taking the, the automating the data scientist in many ways. And, and for me, that that's pretty exciting. The second piece to me that's the most exciting is, is that when I look at the last 10 years of doing this, and it's always been change resistance as the, the number one prohibitor of getting things done. Now more than ever, people are accepting change. People are accepting new models. People are accepting walking away from the old ways of doing things. And so what gets me really excited is when we get something, the time to value is so much quicker right now. Because in my projects, I still believe change management, the people side of it is still the hardest part of the business. And what I've seen is, is that those barriers are just lower than they've ever been before. Yeah. Uh, and I think a, a great note to end on. So, uh, you know, congratulations again, Craig, on your, on your award. Thanks everybody for your time. And again, congratulations, Craig. Take care. Forget to subscribe to Millennium Live, a Digital Diary podcast. All episodes are available on Digital Diary by going to mill-all.com.